0: Welcome to Andy Here's the 80s, second episode, the show where we go on a journey to the 1980s to find music actually worth owning. Uh, I'm your host, Andy. I'm here, as always, with my guest and co-host, Aaron Keck. Hello. Uh, So, last week, we talked about uh, the CDs that I owned that were from the 1980s. Yes. There were seven of them, and like you said, not necessarily the seven you would associate uh, with the 1980s. Yeah.
1: Uh, pink floyd is not the band that i would associate with the 1980s especially not that album which i al- I already forget what the title of it was
0: yes well that is a momentary lapse, lapse of, of reason, reason. that's yes, right uh, yeah. which yes not their which is an work. accurate description <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh but there are a lot of albums that came out in the 80s that uh are certainly not just more important but also wildly more successful than any of the ones that I had the uh, mega hits, and those are the ones we're going to look at today so these are all the biggest albums Uh, maybe maybe not uh, among the biggest albums yeah among the biggest albums I didn't get all of them we're going to go five albums per episode from here out basically so I picked the five that are both huge selling hugely influential uh, hugely successful and uh, still good too yeah definitely Uh, so the first... so we got
1: thriller and four other ones yeah right? exactly <laughs> these the
0: biggest of all time the biggest and then one. there's four other ones and then ones there's also. four
1: other ones which were also big
0: so let's start right there with uh, michael jackson's thriller this uh came out in november of 1982 mm. this is the fifth uh, of his solo albums uh the second of which is kind of in his uh Post Motown uh, kind of era. So right. This was his fifth solo album. Fifth solo album. Because
1: there was Off the Wall oh, and then yeah. Thriller, and I thought that was it. Were there yeah. three other ones?
0: There were yeah. There were ones that he had recorded. Um, I think on a Motown label. Okay. Still. So like earlier. Right. Gotcha. So okay. his first one, I think he was literally like twelve or thirteen years old. Gotcha. Post Jackson Five. Like and, the Ben
1: soundtrack or something. That's like that. one okay. of them. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. And then Off the Wall, 1979. Yep. Uh, was kind of the the threshold between kind of old and new yeah. Michael Jackson and then 3 years later there's Thriller here. Yeah. which would go on to sell uh it's over 33 million copies in America, over 100 million in the world and counting. And still like, going. It's still oh,
1: one of the bigger selling uh, al- albums. One of them
0: got sold very recently uh, to me. <laughs> uh yeah, so I mean uh, it's uh you know everybody if if you throw a rock you'll probably hit somebody who's owned or at least heard thriller before oh, yeah.
1: yeah my parents owned thriller and like my my dad listened to the oldie station when i was uh when i was growing up so in the 80s mm-hmm. my mom listened to the light rock station uh so thriller doesn't really fit necessarily in either one of those like you hear human nature on the light rock station and that's mm-hmm. about it uh, but they owned Thriller because everybody owned Thriller. Yeah. Like, and literally.
0: and that was kind of, uh, I mean, by design, really. I mean, yeah. uh, it was produced both with Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones, and it was kind of constructed to be that album for everyone there's something for everybody on here
1: and i love the the number of guest artists they Mm -hmm. have on here like yeah we'll just we'll just grab paul mccartney and bring him on for an album oh we're doing a song about thrillers can we uh, does anyone have vincent price's Uh, number can we give him a call sure come on board
0: apparently he was uh friends with quincy jones wife or something like they literally did say does anybody have his number and somebody (laughs) said yes (laughs) it's
1: great I do like the the idea that this is his fifth solo album because mm-hmm. like you think of, of Thriller as sort of this this uh iconic moment in the history of pop music and Thriller has got to be to Michael Jackson's career what like a Sgt Pepper is to the Beatles yeah. career of Off the Wall is a rubber soul revolver kind of moment where he begins to emerge and people start to realize what he's capable of doing mm-hmm. then he goes into the studio a few years later and does thriller and it's like oh okay this is yeah. this is the peak this mm-hmm. is the pinnacle
0: and it's funny too you know you mentioned paul mccartney the uh the very first single released of this was that uh paul mccartney oh, duet God. which Is strange, considering I think it's easily the worst one on the album. Yeah, Yeah.
1: just just general rule of songwriting. Don't ever use the word doggone in your lyrics, ever. (laughs) No reason.
0: Especially not the chorus. (laughs) That that was released uh, shortly before the album itself came out as Mm. kind of like the lead single. I can imagine
1: that, because it's like Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. So that's like instant hit, no matter how bad the song is. Especially when you
0: kind of think of it as, you know, like you said you wouldn't have thought of any Michael Jackson solo stuff before off the wall. So yeah. this is still, you're still kind of introducing everybody to him in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were, I mean, nearly every song on here over the year and a half uh, since it was released, came out as a single eventually.
1: Yep. There's only nine tracks on the album. Yeah. So, yeah. And I
0: believe seven of them were singles. Yes. See. I think you're right. In order, they went Girl Is Mine, Billy Jean, right. Beat It, I can't remember.
1: Human Nature, there's Human Nature, Thriller and PYT. There's one
0: between Want to be starting Want to be something. starting something yeah. of course was yeah, between Beat and Human Nature, then PYT and then finally Thriller about 18 months yeah. after the the album actually came out. It was yeah. released as a single. And then uh of course the music video was released around that time also, right. which is probably like the great great yeah that's the standard right which
1: i I, and and i'm gonna be the i'm gonna be the iconoclastic like uh cranky contrarian i don't like that video (laughs) i don't like any video at all and thriller is just the absolute like peak of this Mm -hmm. where the song just sort of gets pushed to the side and the video because i don't like any video that includes a whole bunch of sort of ambient sound Mm -hmm. or additional noise i just want to hear the song and see some pictures to go along with it and thrillers this like this 20 minute thing in which the three minutes or i guess it's a six minute song if you count the vincent price section but you don't hear the whole song in the video like it's a 20 minute video and they don't even have time for the whole song and it's sad because i had never really until i was Mm -hmm. listening to this album for for this I had never really, like, sat down and listened to the song Thriller and paid attention to it because uh-huh. you just you hear it with the video and that's it. But I listened to it and that's a brilliant song. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a great song. Uh, it might be my favorite song off of this album, but the, the video, you know, just... Yeah is just takes all of the the press
0: i think i mean you can understand sort of why it wasn't released as a single initially just because it is kind of goofy mm-hmm. i mean of course that didn't stop him from releasing the Paul right, mccartney right. one but and it's six minutes long and it's six too, minutes it sounds, long yeah. it has a vincent price monologue <laughs> i mean it's not like your standard radio uh, yeah. play but yeah it's super well produced the baseline is insane yeah you can't stop listening to it i
1: love the turn in the lyrics like the first couple of verses Mm -hmm. are like they immerse you in the movie and then the camera pulls back and it's just two people sitting on the couch watching Mm -hmm. watching a thriller uh and i can thrill you more than any ghost would ever dare try (laughs) might be the best one of the best pop lyrics i've ever heard
0: it's funny too the uh the song um rod temperton who's who collaborated with him on uh the previous album mm-hmm. as well he wrote this originally as a song called starlight yeah in place of the word thriller yep. basically and I, I think it was michael's idea to kind of shift it towards the horror trend uh, yeah which i mean the lyrics like you, said, you know there's they're good anyway but it, it kind of shifts around and i think it makes it more interesting than just kind of a standard yeah dance song yeah would have been maybe
1: yeah yeah, I love the story behind Thriller that this this started out with with the music and just sort of a vague idea of what the lyrics would be and it was only later that it was like why don't we make it all about mm-hmm. thriller movies like oh that's a good idea yeah. and like later that's it's, it's a great story.
0: Uh let's see. It also p- did pretty well at the Grammys too won yes. uh, record of the year for Beat it album of the year uh pop vocal for Thriller the song and uh rock vocal for Beat it. Uh, which was important too because like you said, this is uh they were trying to capture as much of the audience as possible. So yeah. to have Beat It with uh Eddie Van Halen guest starring on oh, there that's too. Right. Yeah, Eddie Van Halen uh, on there. You know, it grabs uh, a much bigger portion of the uh, listening audience. Yeah,
1: it's this great combination of R and B and rock and pop and just mm-hmm. everything that's out there, right? Beat It is the one that won all the Grammys though?
0: Uh, Beat It won for rock vocal. Okay. Thriller one for pop vocal and album of the year of course was the whole thing
1: and poor billy jean the greatest pop song <laughs> of all time gets completely Got shut out of the grammys yeah,
0: Ugh, grammys. But, yeah i know who, who really cares <laughs> really but uh, i mean a hundred million people still bought it regardless right
1: right it. i'm sure yeah he's you know the album's fine yeah
0: <laughs> but uh so let's go ahead and take a listen uh let's see i want to play uh i want to play one of the ones you mentioned earlier okay which is uh human nature human nature yeah i think that's one of my favorites on here and it just it's funny too because this was um co-written uh with one of the guys from toto we mm-hmm. can which i would have not guessed but then also looking through grammy history they won album of the year the year before this which for for four yeah yeah with which, uh, with, the album, uh, with africa and rosanna yeah it. exactly yeah. but i mean aside from africa i would the have...
1: album that made everyone forget about one for three <laughs> yeah
0: or even i mean toto seems like one of those bands for they're, like they're the reason i don't own any music from the 80s right my uh,
1: mom did own the toto four album because that was another one that everyone did that was uh-huh. a pretty good album but i couldn't tell you a third song off of it
0: well they're i mean they clearly know what they're doing because yeah. i mean i really like this song too let's see so this is human nature good one yeah and it's one of the ones i kind of forgot about when i was listening to it the first time right? and then it kind of came on and i was like oh yeah this is a really good song
1: since we as we were talking about paul mccartney and i mentioned this as sort of michael jackson's "Sgt. and pepper someone i mm-hmm. r- recently said or i recently read about the beatles that it's sort of the 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 perfect like encapsulation of how great the beatles were that they write a song like Things We Said Today, which is for just about any other band, that would be their hit. Like Mm -hmm. You can write that song and be done with your career and have made a huge difference, but the Beatles were so great that that's a B-side. Like They don't even release that as a single. They just stick that on the back of another song that's even better and release it. The fact that Human Nature is not even the song that you think of first second or third when you think of thriller is just a a testament to how great uh an album this is or how great the middle of this album is because track like want to be starting something is good Mm -hmm. but then the next song is kind of generic the girl is mine is terrible i also don't like pyt and the last song which is the lady in my life is also kind of generic but tracks 4 through 7 <laughs> uh-huh. are thriller beat it billy jean and human nature and that might be you could make a case that that's the best like run of four songs on any <laughs> album yeah. ever
0: yeah thriller and, and if this was a vinyl the thriller would end the first or the first side yeah. beat it would kick off the second side I, I think if if i was somebody who had this on vinyl I I would have been playing the second side a lot more. Oh, yeah. than the first side.
1: I was kind of disappointed listening to it. Like, "Wanna Be Starting Something" is a good song mm-hmm. to open the album because it's called "Wanna Be Starting Something." Yeah. But honestly, if they had started with with track four, with "Thriller," and just had the album open <laughs> first of all with that like creaky door noise, uh-huh. and then the da nah, that like orchestral like climactic at the very yeah. beginning of the song as the opening of the album, and then follow that up with "Beat It," "Billie Jean," and "Human Nature." Like, how awesome would that have been to open an <laughs> yeah, album? Yeah,
0: that would have been ballsy for yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't know if, if this is the album you're trying to capture a new audience with. You start with a creaking door and the, <laughs> the Vincent Price. But, Maybe. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I like wanting to be starting something a lot. I think it's a good starting track. Yeah. You're right, Baby Be Mine. It's fine, but it's kind of generic. Yeah, I would say PYT is equal to that because it's it's fine, but it's kind of generic. But yeah, I think thriller beat it billy Je- i mean the, yeah. those big hits that you remember there's a reason you remember yeah them, right? exactly yeah.
1: and billy Jean is another just i mean a greatest pop song of all time mm-hmm. arguably i would make that case uh how important it is just in the history of pop music over and above the existence of the song because that's the song it does the moonwalk to mm-hmm. at motown 25 that's also one of the greatest early videos yeah. of all time i love that video mm-hmm. Um, And then it's just a great song over and above what Quincy Jones does to produce it because 20 years later along comes Chris Cornell and does the slow acoustic rock cover of the song and now everyone can hear like what a great song it is in a com- from a completely different perspective right. because the song is good enough that you can do that too.
0: I don't know if I've ever heard the Chris Cornell cover. It's so good.
1: <laughs> it's like it and it, it makes you hear the song in a different way and the song is good enough that you can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's kind of the secret right? If you can just play a song just with one instrument and, and the lyrics mm-hmm. is it still a good song? Like yeah. 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 So then we move on from there to uh 2 years later in june of 1984
1: 84. this is one of the first albums this is my first adult album mm-hmm. uh is is born in the usa which is uh i when i was like five years old right i listened to this album and like sesame street follow that bird and it was just <laughs> back and forth between those two
0: the classics the classics so, yeah so yeah bruce springsteen born in the usa uh this is his seventh album Uh, Released in 1984. That I do believe. And uh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, he was 34 when this came out. Michael Jackson was 25 when Thriller came out, which, as I mean, I couldn't really, you know, people always talk about Michael Jackson, how he was so young and in the spotlight at, at all times. But until you really realize that Thriller, the biggest album of all time, came out when he was 25 years old. Is that puts it? I think in perfect perspective that his career is peaking, bef- like when people are finishing college and haven't even found a job yet. You yeah. know, so for and then Bruce Springsteen uh, is thirty-five, so he's ten years older than that. He's obviously more seasoned, but yeah. released similar amounts of music by that point, well, less arguably. Right, but, right. Uh, I think uh, this one, it's uh, f- you know I've heard a little bit of Bruce Springsteen here and there, whatever's on the radio. I didn't obviously didn't know this one until now um this one it's kind of uh pretty straightforward uh, kind of american rock and roll yeah so I, what, what are your memories of hearing it uh before? I,
1: okay so uh i don't know what it was about this album that spoke to me when i was five years old but <laughs> uh it definitely did and there's there isn't there really isn't a bad song on this mm-hmm. album. Like, well, you can listen to Thriller and say, oh yeah, tracks four through seven are great, and tracks one through three and eight through nine are, right. you know, just sort of fine. But you'll listen to Born in the USA. Like you just you've got the you've got the singles, you've got Born in the USA, you've got I'm on Fire, Glory, uh, Glory Days, Dancing in the Dark, those are the big four, and then uh Cover Me, which is a great second track, Working on the Highway, which might be my favorite song off of the album. <laughs> uh and it's just it's just one great song after another and it sort of creates this like mid 80s post vietnam mm-hmm. reagan era post depression kind of vibe yeah. uh which springsteen is great for but it's that it's that feeling of not quite desperation but hanging right on the edge yeah. that springsteen is great at
0: and i think a lot of these were kind of subversive really i mean cuz they oh, yeah. were big radio hits that got uh, you know picked up and played by maybe people that uh, Bruce uh, would not have been on the same Perhaps side. Perhaps Ronald Reagan. Yeah, himself. Example, yeah. Reagan himself. Like I you do mentioned. think
1: "Born in the USA" is a little bit of a failure as a song, and I think it would have mm-hmm. been better had he held off on the chorus until the very end, so you could really hear the mm-hmm. you know, lyrics in the verses. Because Born in the USA is that song that, you know, uh, uh, when Michael Moore made Canadian Bacon, mm-hmm. he had that famous uh, kind of, uh, Canadian Bacon is <laughs> a famous movie, but as famous as it gets, scene of like John Candy and his friends like driving in their pickup trucks. Born in the USA, I was born in the USA because the <laughs> U- they can't like that's right. the only lyric that you know uh and that just sort of creates this vibe of oh uh, yeah american patriotism which isn't what the song is mm-hmm. about at all uh and in the sort of the same guys is like uh people who are huge fans of the godfather movies yeah. and really want to be michael corleone and it just completely flies over their yeah, head all that those he's the scarface bad posters yeah. and who yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. They also love "Born in the USA," but it's <laughs> yeah. a great song. So
0: yeah, it's it is a great song. I think, and and it's a great that's a great opening track, certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pounding of the drums and yeah. the it's very uh, you put that in, and then you're hooked for the next at least yeah. the first side of the God, record. Max
1: Weinberg's drumming oh, on yeah. "Born in the USA" is so good.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is obviously a group who's they know what they're doing at this point. Oh like, yeah, everybody's just on fire on this record. Yeah. I think uh, let's see. So singles for this one, the first one was "Dancing in the Dark," mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty good one. Yeah, and then featuring uh, Courtney Cox in the video. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, "Cover Me" is the next single. "Born in the USA" is the third single. Wait, "Cover Me" was a single too? Yeah, that was I the did not know one. that. Okay, uh, it kind of yeah. The ones on either side of it kind of overshadow mm-hmm. it. But then "I'm on Fire," "Glory Days," another one that I think has that same effect as Born in the USA, right? Yeah. I mean, this yep. is a depressing song about people stuck in their hometown and the best years of their lives are behind them. Yeah, but but, but it's bah, got that nah, great, nah, like, yeah, yeah, get up and dance to it vibe, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I'm Going Down and then My Hometown are the last two singles. Okay. Uh, this one did pretty well for itself, too. 15 million in America, 30 million all over the world. Uh, and that's as of, you know, 2012 or so. So that doesn't include the run one copy I just bought. But. Yeah. <laughs> add that to the list, Bruce. <laughs> There's another bump coming, I think.
1: Yeah, you get, you're getting some residuals.
0: But yeah, I mean, this one I think if I have a complaint it's that like, you know, it's it's just nothing is like blow like I I know all these, you know, I like them, but none of them like changed my life. Okay. Granted, I'm it's a little late in life for me to right, right. have that happen, but I think some of them, you know, uh Cover Me and Darlington County. Both of them are... Those are good, but they're kind of like kind of Rolling Stones-ish, kind of like I've heard it before. Right. Uh, I think... I like I'm on you a going Which if you're going to compare but,
1: a song... Sure. If you're sure. going to find a song wanting you're like, well, this isn't the best Rolling Stones song yeah. I've ever heard. It's yeah, like you said with the Beatles good. too, right? It's like right, this is right. a throwaway
0: track that they somebody else picked up and made a good song. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's still just... It's easy to listen to. It's fun. Um, and... You know, it's obviously, there's a reason it sold so many copies, right? That's mm. the cover. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Bruce's butt on the cover, yeah. yeah. Which which reminds me that I should say that I still, to this day, believe that I'm on fire is secretly homoerotic. <laughs> uh, this is just something a little bit too on point about uh-huh. sometimes. It's like someone took a knife, baby, edgy, and dull and cut a six-inch valley through the middle of my soul. <laughs> that just makes me think that that uh, that... Uh, when Bruce walks in and says, hey, little girl, is your daddy home? He's disappointed that he's not. (laughs) Uh,
0: I like that interpretation.
1: I I put I'm on fire on the same list with with Jailhouse Rock and uh, Ballad of a Thin Man and a couple of others. It's like, we know what this is about, though, right? (laughs) Just scratch the surface a little
0: more. So, what's uh, which one do you want to highlight off of here? Uh, I really
1: like working on the highway. Yeah, as, as a like, if we're gonna pick a song that's not a single and play that, I just think like, as far as like a straightforward fun uh-huh. song that also has that sort of tone of despair at the underneath right. it, like working on the highway is great.
0: It's such a goofy one too. Let's see. Let's see if I can bring it up here. Yeah.
1: This is a song about a guy in prison. By the way, like, <laughs> and I, I do think like, uh, and, and as a as an album, you mentioned like it doesn't change your life, but mm-hmm. I think as an album that makes a political statement, maybe not so much as a uh, as an album, maybe along the lines of, and know, I can't think of uh, of sort of a great political album. Um, that, what's, what's going
0: on, Marvin Gaye?
1: Yeah, something like that, where where it's more overtly depressing mm-hmm. and the music sort of goes along with the with the depressing lyrics i think this does a much better job capturing the actual vibe of people who are living in that
2: mm-hmm.
1: borderline desperate situation of we don't want to feel depressed mm-hmm. if we're in a bad situation but we're going to look at the world in as optimistic a light as possible. Someday I'm going to lead a better life than this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh, I think Springsteen captures that. And maybe that means born in the USA doesn't have the political, doesn't convey the political message that uh, he might want it to. But I think it does a better job capturing the speaker of the song. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's true. As literature, it's great.
0: And there's something to be said, you know, for putting uh, these, putting political messages in a form that will be, uh, you know, listened to by a larger audience, right? Yeah. You know, there's no point in making something that nobody's going to hear. Yeah. Well, there's a point, but it doesn't have the same resonance culturally. Yeah.
1: When, uh, okay, when A Mighty Wind came out, uh-huh. the uh, the Christopher Guest folk music right. documentary, there were the, the Kingsmen, which were, no, was it the, no, the Folksmen? that's what it <laughs> right, was, right. which was the... Um, Michael McKeon, and Uh Christopher Guest, and Harry Shearer, and they have these incredibly, and it's a total parody, but it's perfect, these incredibly sad songs that, like, Christopher Guest starts singing in Spanish, and... (laughs) about people dying in the mines and whatnot and it's a parody because mm-hmm. you listen to it and okay yeah i get it you're you're sad and you want us to feel sad but this does a better job conveying the actual spirit yeah, this I is think.
0: like what the uh the new avenue singers or whatever the oh the, the group yes. his rival group uh oh, what were
1: they new main street singers, new main street yeah, yeah. singers yeah. Oh, that was a great movie <laughs> yeah how do we get from bruce springsteen to a mighty wind that was my fault i sorry
0: <laughs> i don't know it's christopher Guest from new jersey uh he might as well be let's say yes yeah go for it <laughs> so next up uh that same month comes the next album which is uh june of 1984's purple rain mm. by prince and the revolution
1: both of these came out in the same these model.
0: came out yeah within wow. weeks of each other
1: 1984 was a hell of a year for just pop culture as well because mm-hmm. you think about well purple rain was the movie too and then you've got ghostbusters and gremlins and beverly hills cop and a bunch of other movies that came out of the same year too that was kind of a banner year
0: yeah and it's weird the book doesn't mention any of that 1984 like what's, yeah it's weird what's, what's the deal
1: know. just but... the pearls we're listening to it <laughs>
0: Uh, Purple Rain, the album, the soundtrack uh, from the motion picture, uh, came out in June. The movie was released theatrically in July, so people got a month head start to listen to it. I watched the movie for the first time yesterday, and... uh, How was it? (laughs) It's, uh, you know, the music's great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As a movie, this is a good album. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. I I think it's, you know, if you like it, it's like the album, it's worth seeing once, but... uh, it is, uh, It yeah, the music's good. Okay, <laughs> I'm going along with that. Speaking of which, let's see, the music. Uh, I had at one point um, on like some failed music service had downloaded this album, you know, probably like 10 years ago but before the iTunes was kind of dominant. Uh, so I had heard most of this at one point, but I never owned the physical album, uh, which I'm glad I got because it's all it all holds up pretty well oh yeah
1: yeah i also appreciate how weird it is Uh and i was trying to i was trying to think listening to this album and thinking about how popular it was and how many copies it sold and just how prince just i could just feel him going into the studio and like yeah let's just do this i can i'm prince whatever (laughs) i do is going to be great because i have that uh, that That innate knowledge of what 's going to work, and trying to trying to think of would it be possible? For someone to make an album like Purple Rain today, or is modern pop music just so heavily produced and focus grouped? Yeah. And for a second, I thought, uh, no, this this couldn't possibly be made today. And then I think, well, if you, if you reach a certain level mm-hmm. of greatness and popularity, then you can go in the studio and do whatever you want. Like Beyonce can go in the right. studio and do something like this, which she does with Lemonade, and mm-hmm. like Kanye West can do something like that. But the people who have achieved Prince levels of popularity today, today, a lot of them are just more than happy to go into the studio and do the focus group stuff. Mm-hmm. Katy Perry would never do this. Right. Uh, but Prince does and it's great.
0: Yeah. And it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, he's right. Kind of known for being in his, in his Prince kingdom, right? Paisley park in Minnesota. Yep. And he, he is, he just does basically whatever he wants. And, uh, the results. What's interesting, though, is he does whatever he wants. But this is the first one he actually includes his backing band in the in the billing for, and he gives and them the some writing credits also. Yeah. Um. So he's he's collaborating on this one a little more with his bandmates uh, on at least most of the songs, and some of the songs even are on this album are recorded uh, live as well, and then overdubbed in the studio, which yep. is interesting. Uh, but yeah, these are. A collection of very experimental but still like really poppy good catchy songs
1: yeah some of them what is it is it track three that ends the beautiful ones is that the one or maybe it's track four that ends with just him screeching into the microphone and it's great <laughs> like i would never have as as much balls to do that as Prince does. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm just going to scream into the microphone, don't worry, this is going to sound awesome. And he's right. <laughs> yeah. Or Darling Nikki, for that matter, which is which opens up with, I saw her masturbating to a magazine. Like, who would do that? Uh-huh. But I was like, yeah, I got it.
0: Yeah, I'm Prince, I can do yeah. it. Prince the best. and
1: Billy Joel are the only two people that ever talked about masturbating in a song.
0: <laughs> or at least... Uh... Who sold, talked about masturbating and then also sold millions of copies and of also sold album, millions of oh and Green Day those yeah. three those yes, three were right got, there that's yeah. the trifecta yep. Yep. Right? Yep. <laughs> uh, Purple Rain did sell thirteen million in the U S as of now ish and twenty million worldwide mm. uh, so it did, yeah it did pretty well for itself too the first single When Doves Cry still a classic of course, I think. Yeah.
1: We go back for a second and talk about the fact that Bruce Springsteen's "Born in the USA" apparently sold as many copies outside the USA as in the USA. That's <laughs> yeah, weird, right? That is true. Yeah, I guess uh, I would imagine "Purple Rain" is having more of a more a of wider a universal audience, appeal, yeah. but I guess not.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's interesting. The, uh, but yeah, there, there's a. Uh, let's see what what what's the track? Let's see that we can highlight kind of the weirdness, but also catchiest uh, of this. Maybe maybe I would die for you. Okay, I think that's a pretty good one. This was released uh, as the. I want to say it's the. F- yeah, this is the fourth single from the album.
1: Is this the first? Is this the first uh, instance of Prince using letters? And letters numbers and, and numbers for words. I, I'd have to go back and look. Okay.
0: I I think. Uh, it's certainly. I mean, it's the most obvious. It's one of the it's first. The most popular. Yeah.
1: Listening to that on headphones, I really noticed the the background, the the percussion in the background. Mm-hmm. Is that a synthesizer? He's uh, using he's got a that? drum
0: machine, certainly. Yes, yeah. yeah. There's synth. There's uh, there's a lot going on in it. Certainly. Yeah,
1: it's very well produced. I just went and saw uh, Stevie Nicks in concert, and this is a print story. Uh, <laughs> she described how she was driving in her car one day, listening to, and she told the story. And got to the actual Prince song as sort of the rest of the story. Like here's the uh-huh. here's the give, here's the the punchline, but it was a little red Corvette that she was listening to, and she started making up her own lyrics while she was in the car. And she's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm Stevie Nicks. I'm just gonna go and record this. <laughs> so she goes and records it, and she gets to a point where. Says, okay, we probably should call Prince up and get his permission. Yeah. So they call, she calls him up mm-hmm. and is like, Are you in Los Angeles? I, I do, in fact, happen to be. So he drives to the studio, shows up all decked out in purple because <laughs> that's just what he was wearing right. that day, um, and listens to the song, loves it, and says, Can I play on it? I'm like, Sure. So he goes in and just adds this synth beat, which becomes the iconic part of it. It's Stand Back by C.V. Nix, which okay. is. Apparently a cover of a little red Corvette with different <laughs> lyrics and apparently if you listen to the two of them together It's it's the same song but Prince just walks into the studio and it's like all right Let me just do this and this and play this instrument. All right, bye And that becomes the iconic part <laughs> of the song like how great a musician Prince was to just oh, yeah. amble into a studio listen to a song one time. And it's like this is great But if you just do this and this and this it's like speaking of 1984 uh, that scene from Amadeus, where Salieri has his song, and Mozart just sort of sashays, <laughs> and like, that's fine. But what if you just added these sixteen uh-huh. things? Oh, that's great. <laughs> that was Prince. He's like the the modern Mozart.
0: Yeah, and it it doesn't wasn't highlighted in this song, but. He was an excellent guitar player, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you see, I've seen, I mean, just from watching like the Super Bowl performance and Saturday Night Live appearances, stuff like that. And even, even though it's obviously lip sync, the stuff, the performances in Purple Rain, the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just an incredible performer.
1: Yeah. And Michael Jackson, that amateur who had to bring yeah. in Eddie Van Halen to do a guitar solo—none of that yeah, here. Please. This is all Prince in his band. I'll do it myself. Thank yeah, you. I've I've got it. I've got it. Purple Rain is a great song. I never oh, yeah. I, another song that I never really paid attention to, mm-hmm. but how just operatic that gets at the end—it's great. Yeah.
0: Oh, it yeah it builds really well. Yeah. Let's just play it also. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, it's funny too. They play it. Yeah, in the film you know after like the story quote uh-huh. in quotes that it, that happens you know he comes on stage and it has a rousing performance of purple rain and then after that he's like basically just said okay and then here's also the songs we didn't fit into the movie and then they play <laughs> yeah, yeah. an encore literally he co- oh, goes off stage great. comes back on. i imagine i haven't goes, seen
1: the movie i imagined purple rain as being the the closing yeah. song of the movie but there's a whole that's like a nine minute song So I imagine the last few minutes after the lyrics end is being like, oh, everyone's cheering, and then it cuts to black, and then the credits roll over the top. That's what I thought, too,
0: even as it's happening. I'm like, okay, so this is the end of the movie, and then 15 minutes later, it actually ends, because it plays two or three more songs. And then the credits are separate from that. All right. Let's see. Here's a little bit of Purple Rain.
1: And it's only in that second chorus where, like, the key changes a little bit that you start to get a hint of where the song is yeah. it, eventually gonna go. It has a great build. Yeah,
0: mm. and that's one of the ones that was uh, recorded live and then overdubbed. So the you know the core of that song was from a live performance, and they added stuff okay. like the chorus and the strings and stuff over top. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. It's very good.
1: You mentioned the Super Bowl uh, performance, mm-hmm. and I we after prince died and everyone was posting that i rewatched it and actually again paid attention to it for the mm-hmm. first time and it, it just a what a great artist he is the best part of that performance was when he just sort of decides to cover a foo fighters song for no reason <laughs> uh and blows it out of the water like listening to it i'm thinking oh that's what that song was supposed to sound like this whole time. And it's a good song. Yeah. The Best of You by the Food Fighters, you know, go back and listen to the original single. It's great. But then Prince get up, gets up in the rain at the Super Bowl. is like, yeah, that's fine. But here's what it really should have sounded <laughs> right. like and just knocks it out.
0: What's funny, uh, I'll have to see where the timeline kind of lines up, but Foo Fighters did a cover of Darling yes, Nikki." Yes, in the
1: 90s, uh, I think it was, and he didn't like it. Oh, he didn't yeah. like it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure him covering Best of You was his, like, little slap back in the face <laughs> of the Foo Fighters. Like, oh, you're going to cover my song. I'll get up in front of literally a billion people and show you how your own music
0: is <laughs> Well, best revenge, right? Yeah, yeah. So next up we've got from August 1986, Paul Simon's Graceland. Uh, this is one uh, that is not like the monumental seller that these other ones were, mm-hmm. though it still did very well for itself. Um, but I think it's also been very influential since then, uh, you know, and influential not just on artists now, but also in changing how, what people listen to, I think. Yeah. So this is Paul Simon, uh hearing basically a friend of his gave him a cassette of, uh, some South African music and he loved it, went to South Africa, played with a bunch of artists, then flew a bunch of them back to New York, uh, to record this album, which they worked on all together. Uh, but uh, I think, uh, let's see, 5 million in the U S 14 million in the world, uh, and won the Grammy for best album yeah. that year. Uh, what do you think
1: yeah listening listening to uh, like obviously when you're talking about an american artist going and mm-hmm. making an album that's mostly african music not all african music is you throw zydeco in mm-hmm. and a couple of other
0: los lobos also collaborates
1: genres as well yeah it's a very it's a very world music mm-hmm. album uh from someone who's this you know new york folk writer mm-hmm. basically uh so you've got to you've got to you know, raise the question of cultural appropriation, but this is how to do it. Mm -hmm. Like cultural appropriation is, I don't mean to pick on Katy Perry because (laughs) I like Katy Perry, but it's like someone like Katy Perry who just throws on a headdress and Uh dances around and has no appreciation for what she's doing. But you can do it if you're Paul Simon and you go to Africa and you work with the musicians who specialize in this particular genre mm-hmm. and work with them to craft it like that's how to do yeah. it yeah i uh, think there's
0: a difference between appropriating something and actually appreciating, appreciating yeah. and working with and collaborating so i think as far as that goes i don't think there's any issue uh there was some kind of controversy when he uh, was making it in that there was a uh like kind of a cultural ban on uh oh on South Africa, on South because Africa. Of apartheid. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I think you know, ultimately he wasn't working with the government of South Africa, obviously. And he even says, you know, whatever's going on in the government, if it's too powerful, the artists are the ones who suffer. Right. right. And, and it's also that, you know, it's too. also
1: the case that, you know, it's you're boycotting South Africa because of apartheid, mm-hmm. but going to South Africa and working with Black artists who have been oppressed by yeah. apartheid and bringing them out and saying to the world, "This is what South Africa is working to suppress," mm-hmm. uh, is a statement against apartheid. Right. So,
0: one of the ones I like from here, uh, I know what I know. Track three. Oh yeah, that's a which good is word. kind of I like it too because it's kind of that perfect blend of mm-hmm. Paul Simon with the artist he was collaborating with. And it's still just a catchy song, too. Yeah.
3: I guess she thought I was all right All right in the sort of a limited way For an off night She said, don't I know you From the cinematographer's party I said, who am I To blow against the wind I know, I know
1: The thing that I love about that song is that it's clearly, it's African music, it's world music, and it's also clearly written by the same guy who wrote 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Uh Like, Kwame Appiah talks about the concept of contamination, which Mm -hmm. is rather than culturally cordoning off certain sections of the world like if you are from here you can only do this kind of music and if you are from here you can right. only do this kind of music and you can only speak this language or eat this food or engage in this culture Kwame Appiah says no like let's break down the cultural borders as long as we engage with each other as equals and contaminate each other's culture Mm -hmm. contamination he's using as a positive word here so each everyone influencing everyone else and creating something that an individual culture can't produce but if you combine the two together and work on an equal playing field and let each side influence the other you can come up with something like this I think this. I think this album is is exactly what he's talking about. I hope he agrees because yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> it's possible Kwame Appiah listens to this album, and goes, "Oh, this is this is horrible." But,
0: <laughs> right, maybe. Uh, but... I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's a big success. I, I think it does kind of combine the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've always liked Paul Simon as a songwriter. Um, I don't have a ton of uh, his stuff, obviously, but um uh, mostly i have simon and Garfunkel. i don't have any of his solo mm-hmm. but uh yeah i think this is both it's inspired and it's also interesting it, it's really yeah. f- good to listen to and uh, you know it's certainly worth putting in my collection
1: yeah and it's something that you do if you've already reached a level uh-huh. of greatness that Paul, simon, like paul simon By the time 1986 rolls around, Paul Simon doesn't have to do anything else with the rest of it. Like, he's good. Mm -hmm. He's already made his contribution. He's got a mansion. He's going to be remembered for centuries. So now, like, everything else that he does from here on out is gravy. So why don't I take a risk and try to produce something Mm -hmm. that has never really been attempted or, or accomplished before. Yeah. And that's what he does with this album.
0: And he, I, at the time he was kind of in something of a slump as much as, you know, someone as successful mm-hmm. as him can be. Uh, his solo stuff hadn't been doing well. He just got divorced yep. and he had to do that uh, big reunion concert with uh, Garfunkel Garfunkel oh, in Central Park. Yeah. I, you know, that I, was actually a few years earlier. I yeah. Thought. That was like 81, but that yeah. was between this album yep, and the yep. previous. But so, yeah, I mean, I think you can tell that he's, feeling inspired too mm-hmm. right this isn't a guy just churning out you know the next paycheck
1: yeah i love uh, i know what i know which is the song that we just played the one before that is graceland which mm-hmm. is just a straight up country song yeah. really uh the one that i really like and the one that i think epitomizes what he's doing or i we keep saying he what they're doing sure, yeah, because sure. there's a lot of people working on this is homeless mm-hmm. because that's a song in which you barely even hear paul simon yeah like he doesn't come in until probably i think two minutes into the song mm-hmm. just throwing in a little contribution but this is this is not paul simon's song this is somebody else has taken the lead on this uh and it's it's the the collaborative spirit of it yeah let's hear a little bit yeah. of it. And, and
0: yeah it's primarily with uh the african group ladysmith black Mambazo yes the vocal group so let's take a listen
4: Baba sila lema we ni weba sila lema we ni weba sila lema we we baba sila lema we we baba sila lema we ni weba sila lema we ni weba sila lema we Say I I am, I am, I am, Strong, wind. strong, wind. strong, destroy our homes. Many dead that could be ableクビ. strong, wind. strong, wind. strong, strong. Many dead could be, be a... homeless, homeless, & homeless, 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 homeless Homeless homeless, 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 moonlight and sleeping on a midnight day. Homeless, homeless, moonlight moonlight's sleeping on a midnight day.
3: Somebody sing, <laughs> somebody sing, hello.
0: Uh, hello, 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 hello. So yeah, about two and a half minutes. Two minutes (laughs) and
1: 22 seconds is when you actually hear a pulse on. That's another song, and the title of the track is Homeless. Uh, and yet it's a joyous song, mm-hmm. uh, in, and I think it's the same thing. It's the same sort of vibe as with born in the USA where you get the, uh, the sort of desperate lyrics, but that feeling of joy that comes out, uh, Cornell West said the same thing about blues music, that mm-hmm. blues music is taking oppression and pain and suffering and turning it into something joyous. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what you get from the blues, which means it's that's the universal, that's the universal sentiment, and that's what I think comes out in that song and also this album. Yeah. But you know who wouldn't go two minutes and twenty two seconds in a track without uh, without breaking in on their own album? Who? Katy Perry. Oh, definitely. Katy Perry would not do that. <laughs>
0: You'd be on the third chorus by the time two minutes and twenty four seconds.
1: Uh, I like Katy Perry. I really do. I don't know why I'm picking on her. <laughs>
0: So then the the final one we're doing here, this is from March of 1987. This is U2's The Joshua Tree, probably one of the biggest rock albums of the 80s. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. One of the biggest yeah. bands of the 1980s, probably. But this is really where they took off. They've had, uh, this is their fifth album from in 1987. Oh wow, really? So yeah, they had some stuff before that. I, I want to, let's see.
1: I knew they had uh, stuff before this, but I didn't know it was five.
0: Yeah, five albums. They're all in their late 20s of this, too, yeah. so still pretty young guys. But uh,
1: I still love the, the origin story of U2, of just, like, a bunch of guys sitting around a living room. It's like, you want to put a band together? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you play any instruments? No. You want to learn? Sure. And then they turn into U2. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, uh,
0: so I this, wish. So this one, uh, they had some hits before this, which uh, led them to... Uh, selling uh you know doing having some successful tours successful albums before this but this one joshua tree would go on to sell over 10 million in the u.s and 25 million around the world mm-hmm. uh, and is prob has probably a lot of their most recognizable songs uh where the streets have no name i still haven't found what i'm looking for with or without you and that's just the first Those are three, the first three songs. songs off the album right uh, yeah, yeah so this one they
1: did what i think michael jackson should have done with thriller (laughs) you know we're going to start with the big ones and go from there
0: it's funny too that because you know i think they might have been able to take something from michael and quincy that those first three songs while they're all huge hits i think they all kind of have a similar build yes they start quiet and they get big and then they but then it feels like it resets three times before the album gets yeah that's true Because to me, I think "Bullet the Blue Sky" is the one where I'm finally in, and like I'm in the album at that point. And that's because I I mean the drum and bass in that one is just so driving, and it just gets me so excited. Uh, That one's probably my favorite on the album. I think
1: that might also be that might also be a, a symptom of the first three songs being so recognizable yeah, that certainly. you just listen to them as themselves. And then you get in the rest. Of I have that problem with Abbey road. I think the first mm. two songs off of Abbey road are something and come together. And I just listen to those as singles. And then the album starts uh-huh. after that. It's kind of, the, I, I know exactly what you're talking about with this though. It just yeah. kind of, you hear three songs and then you hear the album, but
0: it's true. Yeah. It's impossible now. to like I've heard those first three countless times before i sat down and actually yeah. listened to the album of, it's finish. difficult
1: to listen to the album now I'm really trying to listen to it as if i'm hearing these songs for the first time and sometimes like with, per- with purple mm-hmm. rain and with thriller the songs i mean not the albums but right. those particular songs that i really was hearing them for the first time because it was the first time i was paying attention to them and they were great but with mm-hmm. those first three tracks off of U2, you too you can't yeah
0: but uh, yeah overall let's see i think this one's a pretty solid album The second half, uh, you know, gets a little more experimental if you Mm -hmm. can say that. This is all a pretty standard rock album, I'd say. But you know, Red Hill Mining Town in God's Country. They start getting in this album. They themed kind of American. Mm -hmm. They're from Ireland, obviously. Uh, So, and that second half, I think, really explores a little more variety and a little more of that. What's the song that's
1: explicitly American? Is it Red Hill Mining Town? No, it's in God's Country. I think it's the one where. They're very explicitly talking about uh, this is their this is their take on the American heartland. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Is that what's up with the harmonica right at the beginning? I think so. Yeah, yeah.
1: it definitely comes across as uh, actually.
0: I think "Trip Through Your Wires" has the harmonica. The
1: might be. Uh, it definitely comes across as a as a band that is not from America but has heard a lot about America <laughs> and singing about America. But
0: yeah, and this is I think kind of. Uh, Bono's kind of leaning heavier and heavier into that more themes of uh, world government and oppression and yeah. stuff like that uh, he's been doing he was doing more traveling at this point point. and it, I mean bullet the blue sky he's like explicitly calling out like the American government for yeah. funding like these regimes in other countries yeah so let's take a listen to that one alright
1: it's more of a straight protest yeah than the bruce springsteen <laughs> yeah, approach of of adding joy to it and it's g- worth going back to bruce springsteen because when you think of what's an album from the 80s mm-hmm. that really captures the anger desperation post-vietnam reagan era you don't think of the joshua tree you think of yep, born in the usa true. so the the joy that you get laid over the desperation that actually makes it more effective
0: yeah, I think I think that's true. Which
1: isn't to say anything negative about the Joshua Tree. It's just mm-hmm. there's something to be said about the joy the 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 overtone of joy. Yeah.
0: I think at this point too, I mean people who have been or who had up to this point known about U2 and had been following them at this point the the grandiosity and mm-hmm. the bombast of their songs has kind of worn on them probably at this point. Uh, even this is a lot of people's first hearing of them, but if they've been paying attention, they're like, "Yeah, I get it, Bono. Like the world sucks." <laughs> but so, but I think uh, this one, I think they do a pretty good job of uh, kind of towing the line between uh, over, you know, overselling it, and while still making listenable good rock and roll. Yeah.
1: I'll also give, you know, Bono's the one who gets a pass mm-hmm. when you think about celebrities getting involved in in politics. I'm all for celebrities getting involved in politics whether it's a, an actor, a musician, or an athlete or whatever because if you've got a microphone and a mm-hmm. camera pointing at you and 50 million people listening to you and you've got something to say and you don't say it, mm-hmm. that's being derelict in your duty, I think. So yeah. I'm 100% in favor of celebrities uh, using that using that megaphone I don't like it when they do that and they clearly have no idea what they're talking about uh-huh. Bono is the exception to that rule because he clearly does know what he's yeah. talking about like he's a recognized expert on world hunger in a way that you know Perry <laughs> <not. laughs> uh,
0: well left shark maybe I know one person who's not gonna <laughs> listen, listen to this podcast anymore <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's Bono, you know, for as much as people kind of roll their eyes at him, obviously he knows what he's talking about because yeah. he gets out there and he travels yep. and he, he yep. learns everything. But yeah, I think, you know, people probably got exhausted with him just, you know, hitting the same horn over and over again. Mm. But, but like you said, I mean, if he's, if he's learning it and educating himself and, uh, yeah, if you've got the mic, get other people Do to it. act on it yeah. too, you know?
1: Absolutely uh i think with or without you might be if i were listing my favorite rock songs of all time i don't know where with or without you would be but it might wind up in the top 10.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good one and that's one that one for me could be well you know i like where the streets have no name yeah with or without you would make a pretty good lead off track too i think yeah because it has that same build and it is like classic rock
1: yeah and the thing about the joshua tree and what a great album it is i just said with or without you might be one of my 10 favorite songs of all time you could make a really strong case that it's not even in the top three on this album (laughs) which I would disagree with but you could you make a make strong case, case. Yeah. yeah that's my fa- that's my favorite song off this album but there are so many great songs on this album that yeah I could I could totally see someone saying yeah with or without you is fine but there are these other five songs that I like better
0: yeah it certainly uh it makes sense why this is you know kind of the one that really put them on the map mm-hmm. right i mean these songs the first three obviously are classics and the rest uh are all good too yeah so i mean this is one where when you hear this for the first time, that's when you start paying attention to a band, right? If you hadn't prior. Yep. Or for some, you hear it and then you're like, I get it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. But I do think that, you know, listening to that and then going back to Bruce Springsteen and the the joy over the top of the protest, I think makes Springsteen really, really effective. Mm-hmm. And I think any any sort of protest song or empowerment song or sort of, Speaking out against oppression, song uh, could it doesn't necessarily need the overtone of joy, but it definitely helps. And mm-hmm. since I've been ripping on her this whole time, Roar by Katy Perry does that, and that makes it really effective. Yeah, I had to, <laughs> I've been very unfair to Katy Perry this
0: whole time. <laughs> well, Yeah, throw, throw her a <laughs> although Roar, let's be fair, did rip off that uh, what's her name, the the other uh. Why are you being so mean to Katy Perry? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking out for... What's her name? Whose song got ripped off by Katy Perry. I don't even know. She's a, What's her name? She's a piano player, singer, songwriter. Alicia singer, Keys. No. No. Uh, all right. Well, that's that'll wrap up the big hits of 1980s music. Uh, at least five of them. Uh, you know, or like we said at the top, Thriller and then four others. And then
1: four others, yeah. Uh, so next in the in the in the, in the style of uh, Know Your Rights by the Clash, these are the big hits, <laughs> yeah. all five of them.
0: All five. Of them. <laughs> so next week, I think I want to start taking a look at probably what I think is probably the biggest and most important development of music in the 1980s, and that would be hip hop. So I want to stay. We're going to do two episodes: one on old school, one on new school. I want to go chronologically, take a look at. Five of the albums that kind of kicked off old school hip hop, arguably the biggest American uh, music movement since rock and roll or the blues, probably. Uh, so that'll be next week. Uh, Aaron, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you. It's fun.
0: And until next time, that was the 80s. That was the 80s. Thanks for listening to Andy Here's the 80s. And shout outs to Sarah Borellis, whose name I could not remember earlier. Her song Brave is definitely better than Katy Perry's Roar. I also failed to mention earlier that Paul Simon's collaborators on I Know What I Know were General M.D. Sharinda and the Gaza Sisters, who combined the call-and-response Shangan singing style with contemporary dance grooves. Now I want to hear from you. Send me an email at andyhearsthe80s at gmail.com. That's 80s spelled out, E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S, at gmail.com. Or follow me on Twitter at AndyHearsIt. Let me know what you thought of the show, and tell me what some of your favorite 80s music is. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.